All right, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. Amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. So today is November. November 21. Okay, good. It's loading up immediately. It's not what was happening in class this morning. So. The question that I left you all with would was, what are purposes for the names or attributes of Allah? The most obvious being that they're telling us who or what Allah is. Anything beyond that? I think it helps uh, create... Uh, sorry. Do I respond? Oh, as I say, I think it helps create belief in Allah. Okay, so right. explain. What does that mean? So... Because when you are, you know, I guess when you're kind of like looking through life and pondering upon, you know, what do I really believe in, right? Yeah. When you hear the concept of like the most gracious, the one that's, you know, everlasting, um, you know, that's not an attribute that you can really visualize for a human being to have. So it sure. must be a, a bigger being that has that. Okay. Yeah. What else? I think that's good. Uh, builds your relationship with Allah. Okay. Meaning, so, you know, if, uh, for example, you needed money, you know, they tell you, oh, go to so-and-so, he's a rich person. Yeah. Um, so knowing all the attributes of Allah, you know, he's forgiving, he's merciful, he, you know, takes care of, uh, of you know, his servant. Um, you know, all of these things help build a, your relationship with Allah and, yeah. and understand him and, and well, not understand, but know who Allah is. Okay, very nice. Yeah, I think it's absolutely true as well. What else? Uh, I would another thing I thought about is um, they they also help create a sense of intimacy that maybe the name Allah doesn't um, because each name sort of you know implies something more specific, and I think that is a it's a way of, of sort of, you know, sort of building on building a relationship and creating belief. It's a, it's a way to create intimacy, you know, especially how we are told in, you know, when you need something specific, when you're seeking something specific to invoke a specific name that corresponds to that need. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm, okay. What else? Else, Bilal Fizan, name Mahal the mayor. Um, uh, I've got something. Who's speaking? Abdullahi. Hey, Abdullahi. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say that I think it helps to reinforce the um, notion of just one God. Okay, explain. Because you have many different names. Mm. Um, and it's, I guess, when you have so many names that cover basically all aspects of everything, essentially, that, like, it shows that maybe there's no, there's no other God because we have this one God that is encompassing everything mm -hmm. listed, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Okay. Also very nice, mashallah. Anybody else? Um, I have one. Uh, it enables you 
by knowing the names, you can apply those attributes. And many of them, by applying them, you became you become a more complete person. Okay. Whereas some of them, you know they're exclusive to Allah. And maybe, you know, you know by not doing those, you become a complete person as well. All right. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, I had one. Um, I we're doing like the characteristics of Allah, right? Yeah, What's yeah. The purpose of the names uh, of Allah. Yeah. So, um, one thing I thought was like it is a. Um, I think like a lot of the names are areas in which people try to like gain authority or like or seek something and it's a way to uh show us all the different ways in which it's kind of sort of the notion of one god like all-encompassing it's it's reinforcing that god is the final authority in those matters uh, especially All right. What else? One, um, you're protected by, um, I don't know, misunderstandings or evil thoughts about Allah because once you know the comprehensive nature and who Allah is, then unlike somebody who wouldn't know who God is, then um, you would not fall for that same trap of um, having a misunderstanding of, you know, mm -hmm. what God might be doing to you or the level of sadness that comes from that. Mm -hmm. These are all excellent, mashallah. What else? Um, I got a couple. Uh, first one would probably be, it could be an avenue of zikr, perhaps. Yes. Um, and then the second one, I don't have an answer for this because I was kind of stuck on something you alluded to last week and I couldn't think of an answer. Okay. So I'm just going to think out loud here. But you did mention something about how we have to think of the time when like the revelation was uh, provided, like what purpose uh, these names had back then. Yeah. And unfortunately, I don't know enough about uh, the history to really like think of an answer, but I just wanted to bring that up to see if anyone else thought of yeah. the same thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. any thoughts the context of that first generation and maybe parallels for later generations uh on a, on a very surface level you could say that um it's sort of superseding or replacing the <clears throat> what they would have had for their deities mm -hmm. you yes. know that that um, you know, and it's often the case, I, I think, in a lot of um, uh, polytheistic religions, I know from my experience with, like, growing up in India with Hinduism, for example, that, you know... You were Hindu? <laughs> no, I knew a lot of Hindus. Um, <laughs> and, well, I guess from there, knowing that, like, a lot of sort of deities, they tend to like fulfill specific purposes and have specific attributes that other Absolutely. ones don't have. Yeah. And then, you know, some of them, you know, there's, you know, I think also going back to our text, there's a, there's sort of a allusion to this, right. That there's this conflict between 
these gods, as it were, these deities, as it were, because of, you know, uh, uh, sort of antagonistic qualities. And I think, you know, on a surface level, if we go back to that sort of early, early revelation for, for Muslims, it was a way to sort of be like, hey, look, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has all these qualities as opposed to you have this idol for this and that idol for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Anything else? Yeah, one more. Yeah. Um, so this one is <clears throat> knowing the the descriptions, the names of Allah is one of the greatest actions of the heart. So kind of contrasting before, like applying the attributes. Uh, like there's a there's a phrase in Arabic, the khadlaq will be akhlaqillah. I try to apply the attributes of Allah as applicable, and then knowing them. Is like the action of the heart. It gives it that soul and that connection. Kind of like you know, you can pray with the motions, but when you have that feeling in the heart and that khushur, it gives it that soul. So I feel like it's an action of the heart as well. Kind of like okay. the vicar thing that was mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, I think uh, to talk about like uh, the relevance to the time period and the people that the message was initially brought to, I think um this could this is just me spitballing but go for it i mean humans have always been in awe of titles i guess especially yeah. so at that point in time where it's like you know the more titles you have that are well recognized that speaks to your sort of status in life and mm-hmm. and just sort of like the respect you command right so um it's pretty hard for a human to remember 99 titles for themselves or you yeah. have other people recognize 99 titles you know in regards to them so establishing that allah has 99 titles Mm. uh, or names could be a way to communicate to the people of the time this is our lord like our absolutely yeah yeah is it wrong for me to think just sounds kind of lame what do you think uh yes yes it sounds very lame Oh, the United States of America. Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think all of these muscles are very, very good. Anything else? Did you find yourselves like racking your brain for these things? I think initially for me, it was I was I was worried that like it. I kind of overthought it. I think because of what, you know, kind of what you, what you said, what we did last week or the week before or whenever, but like, it, you know, that was such like a, a sort of a deep dive as it were, like this time around, I was just like, wait, am I just thinking too surface level here? You know, uh-huh. like, so I think that kind of helped me up initially. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Sure. <clears throat> uh, the only things that I would add to this uh, is uh in fact i think i can think of only one so uh have any of you done the prayer of the heart and the prayer of the tongue with me no okay all right so uh when okay let's say let me let me give you a hypothetical scenario to make this point here let's turn off the camera or turn off this thing okay so let's say I have to be at have a corporate job. I have to be at work at nine o'clock, and I'm running late. Okay, and I'm driving as fast as I can in my Toyota. Okay, uh, and 
uh, and I'm praying to Allah, Ya Allah, get me to work on time, get me to work on time, get me to work on time. Okay. So let's say I have to get to work at nine o'clock and I got to work at 8.57. Does it seem like my prayer was answered? Yeah, it seems like it, right? What if I get to work at 9.05? Doesn't seem like it, correct? Or Abdullah here, you're saying yes, yes, no? I mean, 9.05 is close enough, right? <laughs> um, the, the prayer of your tongue wasn't answered, but the prayer of your heart was answered. Oh, snap. I was like, oh, I can answer this wow, question. Yo, yeah, now you beat me, bro. I was going to be like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> so he's come back to mind, yeah. This reminds, when I, this reminds me of when I was in like this Quran memorization class and the teacher asked everyone, okay, I forgot, what, I even forgot what surah we memorizing. It might've been surah Naba. And then he's asking all of us, you have this memorized? We're all like, no. And then there's this one old man in the class who's just like flying through the memorization. We're like, how do you memorize it so fast? It's like, don't tell them I already knew this surah, right? <laughs> he just like, he was quiet when, when the teacher asked, did you already have this memorized? Okay. Anyway. Uh, so, uh, why do I want to be at work at nine o'clock? So that what? To get money for your job. So I don't get in trouble, right? So if I get to work at eight fifty-seven, it looks like my prayer was answered. If I get to work at nine o five, but I didn't get in trouble, nobody noticed. Was my prayer answered? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes the prayer of my tongue was not answered because the prayer of my tongue was get me to work on time but a step closer to my heart yes it was answered okay so anytime you're making a prayer ask why to help figure out a step closer to your heart so what, what that means is that the prayer you're making for anything is an interpretation of what your heart is seeking. And so I'm praying to Allah, Ya Allah, get me to work on time. Why? So I don't get in trouble. Why? So I don't lose my job. Or so I don't lose my, yeah. Why? So I don't lose my income. Why? So I don't lose the ability to pay for my bills. Why? So I don't lose my lifestyle. Why? So I don't lose my home. And keep going closer, closer to your heart. You keep saying why. You'll get close to what your heart is actually seeking. And so in that case, what am I probably just seeking? Rahma. Okay. So far, so good. So if I arrive to work at 9.10, I get written up, but I don't lose my job. The prayer of my tongue was not answered, but the prayer closer to my heart was answered. Okay. So I have a question. Yes. Um, in in would you say then when like is it better to be non-specific in certain duas where you no. just make like the dua of Musa, where no, you're like, I, I just want whatever good, you know, something like that? I think in his case, that's how much he was at rock bottom. Hmm. Uh, I think you should pray for the specific and the general because we're speaking about Allah, right? So uh, the specific, the general, everything in between. Make sense? Yeah. No. Okay. So in that case, 
I'm praying to Allah for Rahma. So, now, change the case. Let's say you have a war criminal who's on trial. And you're praying to Allah, Ya Allah, make them find him guilty. Okay. And let's say they don't. I'm thinking of this guy who, who he might have been one of the, the either Albanian or Serbian commanders who literally, as they're uh, giving him his verdict, in court, he drinks poison, dies right there, bam. Okay. As though he escaped justice. Okay. And so let's say hypothetically I'm praying, you know, make this guy get convicted or make this guy get the death penalty. And why? Because of all the crimes that he's committed. Why? Because of this, because of this, because of this. Where I'm praying for what? Justice. And so consider each of the names of Allah as capturing a core prayer. Most often, when we're praying for ourselves, it's usually going to be Rahman. But maybe I don't like this person and I want Allah to destroy them because of something they've done. And it may not even be a question of justice, meaning they're not always happy prayers. So I might be praying for Allah to dhalil him, al-mudhil. So consider each of these attributes as reflecting a core prayer. Okay. That all the prayers that all the people make in the world, if you do why, 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 for each prayer that every single person is making, it'll land on one of these 99 names. Okay. Now, let me make the entire point in reverse. <clears throat> what is the essential yearning of the human heart? The essential yearning of the human heart is to get closer to Allah or to return to Allah. So, for example, if you go through Rumi's Masnavi, the first the opening tale of the reed, it's basically this whole tale about this reed who wants to get back to the reed bed, wants to go home. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajun. Okay. So if we say that is the essential prayer, the essential need, then what we're saying is that one layer outside of that is one of these 99 names. If the core prayer is the prayer to get closer to Allah, that's the essence of all of my prayers a step above that, closer to my tongue, away from my heart, is one of these 99 names. And then a step above that, closer to my tongue, is now getting more and more into the world of my specific situation of my request. And so try to explore that with all the prayers that you make, for example, tomorrow. If you do why, 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 usually it's they're all prayers for mercy. But they might be prayers for something else as well. Make sense? Any thoughts? Any questions? Yeah, definitely. I do have one mind stretch. Okay. No, no, I was just saying. I was just saying it's mind stretching. That's the goal. Let's do it. Let's stretch your mind. Okay. Yeah. Name. Sorry. 
yeah, I guess for me, it's just hard to think of it as like this is the because I was thinking of what is the benefit of these names or like uh-huh. along with the purpose. I'm just trying to figure out like with this knowledge now, like where does the benefit come in of knowing this? Uh-huh. That for we lack are of a better phrase. So if we say that dua is the marrow of the believer, okay, dua mukhul ibad. That dua is the essence of the believer. Then we're saying the essence of the believer. If my if my model makes sense, the essence of the believer is that all prayers are actually prayers to get closer to Allah. But one step removed from your heart, all prayers are then connecting to one of the names of Allah. Boom. And so thus, orienting my whole life, the goal is to orient it towards Allah. That I do more than I realize in my prayers already. Nate, does that make sense or does it make it more confusing? It it makes it makes more sense. But again, uh, it's uh, one of those things you have to really uh, reflect on. Before, so I'd uh, say, um, you know, yeah. over the next couple of days, pick a couple of your prayers. And go through that exercise of why, 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 why. And try to get as close as you can to the core. Very often, it's hard for us to do that for our own prayers. So if you're able to do that, alhamdulillah. But if not, then, you know, do that exercise with the prayer of somebody else, like one of you, you know, somebody in your family or you know, one of your tight friends or something, one of your fellow old young Muslims here. And see what core you get to. So if I draw this, and once again, I have, oh, there it is down there. If I draw this, then share screen. All right, once again, you all can see my OneNote. Okay, if, if I draw this on the screen. First, let me give you the scenario. <clears throat> that this is first... You. I'm going to make the same point with uh, drawn a couple of different ways, and hopefully at least one or more of these will make sense. So here's me, and then here is Allah. Now, we believe that we're born on fitrah, and part of your fitrah is that you're hardwired with a consciousness of Allah. You're hardwired with a yearning for Allah. Okay. When you're born, this is how it looks. There's nothing between you in terms of consciousness and Allah. Now what happens, the way you get raised on how to understand reality starts creating lenses on how to look at the world. Okay? And... How you respond to events in your life, maybe traumatic events, maybe defining moments, maybe significant events that are not necessarily traumatic, that affect your behavior. So I'll give you a micro example. Let's say you're about to cross the street and you weren't paying attention. Just as you're about to cross, this bus blares its horn at you and startles you back onto onto the corner. And it flies by, almost hits you. Okay. Oh, so the next time you're going to cross 
the street, you're going to check to make sure there's no there's no um, bus. And the time after that, and the time after that, to the point that it starts becoming a habit. Okay. And maybe just about everybody in this room is Desi. Is anybody here not Desi? Abdullahi, where are you? Yeah, I'm not Desi. Okay. And so, so you can amen your. Okay. So, anyway, so, so the question for you all also. So, stereotypical Desi parent expresses love by reprimand. Okay. So imagine in place of the horn, it's you're being yelled at. Okay. Day after day growing up, that will affect the choices that you make, right? Which become more filters around your heart. So the goal of purification is to try to remove these and return back to your fitra. Okay. So far, so good. If I explain it this way. So what I'm effectively saying then is that as you are growing up, you're adding these filters around your heart or these lenses through which you're even interpreting yourself. So in, you've probably heard from me, and if not in this class, but those of you who know me in other times, how much I love teaching, talking theology with little kids because their questions are so astonishingly profound. And the most boring people in the world to teach theology to are elders, senior citizens, because their questions are all pretty much the same questions over and over and over again, right? So college students are like the happy medium because at least they can sit still. And so I always give the example of my daughter's question, you know, sitting in the car, looking out the window, is memory an opinion? Just try to sit with that for, for for a bit. It took me two weeks to answer that question. And when I gave her an answer, she's like, what are you asking? What are you talking about? I said, you asked me this question. No, I didn't. But anyway, so the point is that kids just rattle off unfiltered, profound questions. Whereas the elders are so filtered that they all just ask the same questions over and over again. Okay. But this also applies in terms of how we interpret our own selves. Okay. Kids are very direct, they know what they want. As you get older, you start figuring out, you know, how to bypass stating what you want. So same daughter, when she was a little, little kid, uh, and some of you have heard the story from me, uh, each night at about 7.30, she was demanding grapes. Okay. I need grapes, she called them gups. I need gups. And she's like, you think she's gonna die? She's asking them with such force. And so first time parent, you're like, here, here, here. And then sometimes she'd go to sleep sometimes. I need chicken. I need chicken. And you think she's going to die here. Chicken. Okay. And then you realize after weeks and weeks of this, what's really going on here? Who here has little kids? What's really going on? I have little kids, but I don't know what's going on. She doesn't want to go to sleep. And she learned somewhere that if she says, I don't want to go to sleep, I don't need to go to sleep, that doesn't work. But she learned that if she tells me she's hungry, she can stay awake. Why doesn't she want to go to sleep? FOMO. You know, little kids have their own FOMO. She doesn't want to miss out on the action of the adults and such. And she probably even had something else up her sleeve in case that didn't work. And 
I, as her parent, have been conditioning this behavior. I'm as her parent conditioning the deceit. I'm as her parent conditioning the self-deceit because she's convincing herself that she's hungry. So, and so all of us go through this and the result is layers and layers and layers. The end result fundamentally is layers between ourselves and our, and our hearts, which then becomes layers between us and Allah. And so, so if I'm making a dua and I have this many layers, it's almost as though it's that many levels of interpretation of what my heart is seeking. So at this level, my heart is seeking Allah. At this level, my heart is seeking what effectively is one of the names of Allah. And the closer I am on the right side, it's still usually something in the dunya until we get to there. So if I make the same drawing from the other side, we're saying that imagine at the center you have a law. And then one layer around is the 99 names. All inseparable, not in the sense of like the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. This is all a law without contradiction, without uh, uh, variation. But this is how people are reaching a law. Okay. And then you apply this to the generation of the prophet, peace be upon him. For some people, and this is this essentially what was mentioned, for some people, returning from idol worship to a law is easy. For other people, it's hard. So imagine, okay, right now, imagine you're Hindu, right now you pray to Lakshmi, we're saying pray to Al-Ghani. And once people get into the habit of that, you're saying, okay, all of these are Allah. So pray to Allah for any of these things. Okay, but you all get the point that, that, uh, that each of these names represents a core dua. But what does that mean? Each of these names represents one of our types of yearnings for Allah. The most in mercy, the eternal in mercy, master, okay, so far and so on. And again, test this. Think of your own du'as or the du'a of somebody, you know, one of your friends or something, one of your family members, and do the why, 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 why to see if you can connect it with one of the names. Again, most of the time, it's going to be for Rahma. Like, I'd almost go so far as to say, if I were to... Uh, if we were to modify this just a little bit, that it could be something like this. Rahman, Rahim, and then all the other 99 or 97 names in terms of how we approach Allah. But that's uh, just, uh, I'm getting even more theoretical right now. All right, make sense? Any thoughts, reflections, pushback? By the way, you're all not obliged to agree with the things that I'm saying as I'm further corrupting your brains. I have a question regarding the cause of Dua. So where do like good deeds and sins apply to this in terms of filtering? Yeah. So, like they say, there's like a deed or there's a saying that the more bad deeds you do, 
the less your dua is likely to be answered or the more good you do the okay more. so a, a way to possibly understand this is okay so imagine you're wearing a pair of glasses that are your vision is perfect but you're wearing a pair of glasses that are zero prescription right and they're perfectly clean so you see everything okay now imagine you get a single dot on your glasses okay? and then imagine you wipe it away that's the effect of doing good deed, a bad deed and following it up with a good deed. Okay. Now imagine you did bad deed after bad deed after bad deed after bad deed after bad deed. So you got all these dots all over your glasses. So what has that done? It's obscured your vision. So now translate that to the teaching that every time you do a bad deed, it puts a black dot on your heart. It is affecting your moral clarity or your spiritual clarity which then means it's affecting, if it's your spiritual clarity, we're talking about your relationship with Allah, it's affecting, for example, your confidence in Allah, it's affecting your reliance on Allah, and think of everything else that would be involved. Your moral clarity is also being involved, being affected, it's affecting the precision of right and wrong, which most often plays out in what you say. Because that takes the least energy, right? Or what you look at. So it's like someone, so someone who is like, let's say their vision is not clear. Um, so the the so basically like the example of Rahim and Rahman, like Allah Subhanahu's Rahmah is still there, which is like the fully of Rahim and Rahman. He, yeah. the person just doesn't seem clear, like he just can't see. Okay. Yeah, that's exactly it. So a sealed heart is you reached a point of no return. It's pretty scary. So, a hypocrite's heart is what? It's like a disease that just continues to spread. It's as though it spreads upon itself, like mitosis. Like a plague. And so it's affecting your spiritual clarity. It's affecting your moral clarity. Your spiritual clarity will play out in, maybe you just won't even make duas. Your moral clarity will be in your decision making, especially in the micro moments. Okay. And how does that play out? Like, okay, so we had a kid to, uh, who came to the office. Two two students came to the office, two undergrads, to talk to me about something that's going on. And Hafiz kid, who is respected by many of his peers and such, accidentally let the F word slip. Okay, and naturally, the guys who've known me for a while in this room you know I roasted the hell out of him, right? Uh, especially because he had a, a T-shirt that had a picture of the Kaaba right above his heart. Like, oh, mashallah, look what happened. The Kaaba is no longer in his heart. Now it's on his shirt, you know? And how many surahs did you forget today with that word? Anyway, so the point being that uh, uh, most often the first place this plays out is your dua or your tongue, which is essentially both the same thing. But it can play out in worse places as your heart gets more darker and your moral clarity, your spiritual clarity gets affected further. Make sense? Okay. Any other questions?
Alrighty, next time, inshallah, we will continue back with Euthyphro. The point of all of this was for us to take a deep dive in how we understand Allah. Right? Remember, we started, Euthyphro is saying that which is piety is whatever the gods like. And then Socrates pushes back and says, well, what about when the gods disagree? That's where we stopped. So then the equivalent we have is, okay, there's only one God. That's pretty clear. But can we find any even apparent contradictions in the attributes of Allah? And there, I mean, we, were able, we could easily reconcile all of them, but still kind of things that may not fit as well. Uh, but then we went from there, then, okay, what is the basic purpose of the names? All these things you all listed, mashallah, are excellent. Cool. cool. And so if we were to categorize these, what do we have? Okay, so this is helping me understand who is Allah to me. This is 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 who is Allah to me. As is this, as is this, as is this, as is this. So the point I'd like you to then consider is at one level, the names of Allah are telling us who is Allah, period. But all of these are actually giving us who is Allah to me. So in whatever is the reality of Allah, whatever that even means, he is not bound by his attributes, nor is he bound by the fact that he is not bound by his attributes. But we are given these attributes for us to help facilitate our relationship with Allah. And then the only thing I'm adding to what you all said is all of these are actually primordial relationships with Allah, as illustrated in our most primordial essence, which is our dua. Side point, that's our primordial spiritual essence. What is our, our, our most primordial physical essence? Meaning, what is our most primordial action? This is a side point. What would you say that is? Breathing. Breathing. And so thus, what do the Sufis commonly say? What is that? Allahu, Allahu, Allahu. It's breath. So think of your most subtle breath becomes your most subtle expression of dependence on Allah. All right. Omar just had a great time. He just had the greatest moment of his whole week just now. Okay. He's like, I already know this. I practice this and I teach this. Good. Any other questions, thoughts, reflections? Okay. So now then, inshallah, next time we're going to go back to Euthyphro until we take another tangent. All righty. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu illa ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubi ilayk. May Allah ta'ala reward you all, inshallah. Those of you who are doing turkey type things or chicken type things, inshallah, you will also have a, a good time. Thanksgiving, thanks taking. Thanksgiving. Amazing class. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay.